Last time on Colony Confidential. There are so many factors that impact valuation. One that you have no control over or very little control that actually is very real is the actual location of your business. I mean, literally, your geography can impact your value. Are you in a franchise zone for the big acquirers, right? Like if you're in one of these rural areas in the middle of the country, Service Master and Rollins might have franchises there and can't buy you. So you lose two bidders there. It's one thing to use an outside account. Like we have an accountant, uh, accountant for our firm that he gives us advice or whatever. It's another thing to have somebody who's in the day-to-day and actually can make real-time financial decisions. And that was one of the best – I mean that was one of the best moves he made. And, and, and I see that consistently across the board. In the past five years, we've probably looked at 15 to 20 companies ranging from 110 to 980,000. They're just super unrealistic. The $980,000 one, we offered dollar for dollar. He wanted a buck 50, but he also, you know, you were taking over a lot of, I said, no. And he still has the business. Unfortunately, he's lost at least six figures since we've spoken. And then another guy, Anti CMEX, actually acquired for, I, the rumor was 1.4, and he was doing about nine, 900, but he said he was going to close. For a million. We looked at him too and we offered him dollar for dollar, but obviously he got the anti CMEX money. So, and then the little guys at 300,000 that want 650. When they say that, I'm like, well, my offer is 150. Call me when you're ready because it's just so ridiculous. I figured I'll go the other way. You know, the way that privately held businesses can compete in the market is number one, you got to focus on, on the relationship because there are a lot of guys out there. And, and I deal with this all the time that say, there's no way I'm selling my business to Terminex. There's no way I'm selling my business to Orkin. Now, most of these people end up eating their words if a, if a high offer comes on the table. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of people that don't want to do that. And so you build a relationship with them. Number two, there are a lot of people out there, and it's a surprising number that are very ignorant as to what's going on in the market and they believe that there's a quote-unquote going rate or objective price for a business, which it's not. It's a very competitive, if you do it right, it's a very competitive auction process. And so you can find people out there that kind of have their head in the sand, don't really know what's going on, think that your offer is as good as anyone else's offer because price is objective and not subjective. And you can do that, but you got to kiss a lot of frogs. Discipline and patience is your friend. Focus on building out your financial capabilities, your marketing capabilities, your service capabilities internally. If you have the opportunity to buy something at a good price, you seize it. You don't wait. You get up in the morning. You get that offer on the table. You try to get that thing done. But if you can't find that, let, let other guys overpay for it. See, what's the highest multiple you've seen? I, I think about multiples in general. You know, One thing that you always have a hard time in the pest control space is that for decades in the U.S., you had Orkin and you had Terminex buying businesses. And Orkin focused on commercial, and Terminex focused on residential. And, and a lot of the deals were small, and, and they were really looked at the same way that you, Ed and Joe, would go out and buy a $200,000 business. It's, it's really like, hey, what sort of revenue am I buying? And you know, what accounts am I buying? And what am I willing to pay for that? And so over time, we end up with the terminology that, that focuses on, on revenue multiples. Now, I... In my capacity, you know, what I do, I, I'm always looking at cash flow multiples and I'm looking at return rates. So for me, I really 
don't care much about revenue multiples. And, and, and when I'm dealing with acquirers, we're not talking about revenue multiple. We're talking about multiples of cash flow, so on and so forth. But premium assets globally, premium assets in a very competitive process, I mean, we're seeing them from the low three times revenue multiple all the way up to scratching four. Now, that's not common. And so I know as soon as I say this, the guy that's, you know, operating on the south side of Bronx right now doing 400000 a year probably just heard that and thinks he's got a, you know, a $1.5 million business, which is not the case. I mean, we're talking about premium, very desirable assets in competitive processes. I mean, when, look, when we go to a market... We, our process is we, we start with a preliminary valuation and I work with my clients typically on a long-term basis. We try to understand what the business is worth to them on a fair market value basis and then what it would likely sell for in the market or strategic value. And when we go to market, we do it one of a few ways. We put together the, the SIM, which is a confidential memo, and we send it out. And it's a very structured, orchestrated process. And I look at my job as I am somewhat of a glorified auctioneer with finance and legal background because I go out into the market, I set a process. I say, here's a business that does 100 million in revenue. Here is the book. Acquirers read it. Send me an indication of interest or a, an informal bid letter that tells me what you would be willing to pay for this business. I get a, I get a handful of those things and then I automatically boot and acquire out of process. And then I go to round two. And I said, okay, you know, you guys are at a 200 million valuation for this business. Um, Mr. Acquire, in order, you know, raise your bid. This is round two. In order to get to a management presentation, you've got to raise your bid. And what you do is you continue to have them raise their bid one, two, three, four, sometimes six or seven times until you get to the final two acquirers. And then we end up doing things that are, again, th these are with bigger assets. You know, this is not a process that you would use with a million-dollar pest control business, but on companies JPM size and Killingworth size and modern size, what we end up we end up oftentimes finding ourselves in what's called a Dutch, a Dutch auction, where we get the multiple as high as we can, and then we go out to the acquirers and say, look, um, you know, your your offer is, I don't know, I'm going to make this up. Your offer is, you know, 25 million bucks. You've got until. Uh, you got until 5 p.m. tomorrow to pay $30 million for this. Otherwise, this opportunity goes to the next acquirer. And then you cycle through the acquirers and you lower that number until somebody hits that bid. And that's the way you extract. I mean, that's one means by which you can extract the highest number out. So it's a very, it's a very fast-moving, confidential, and private closed bid auction process. And, and that's how these businesses are sold. And um, I think... Everyone and their uncle out there now is – I get emails from guys that, that sell you know, they sell their pest control business and they want to be trained on how to go out and, and broker deal. And so there's a lot of guys out there doing that and, and, and some of these brokers are actually good guys for buyers to deal with because they don't run these – they don't run controlled auctions. They don't know anything about it. They've never worked in banking and investment banking and M&A. They just – they know a lot about pest control and they want to sell a business and that's how these things are, are sold. So to answer your question – I mean, multiples range from literally 70 cents on the dollar revenue multiples all the way up deep into the threes. From an EBITDA multiple perspective, we tend to see them um, yeah, for platforms. We, we tend to see them in the kind of the low to mid teens um, for very strategic and scared at, scarce assets. We, we see them over 15 times. 
multiples, I think, are always very dangerous for people to talk about because let's say that you've got a $10 million business that's growing at 20% or 20% a year for two decades, right? So it, it, this thing is growing rapidly. And then you've got another business that's growing at 2% a year, both solid companies, but one's a high growth engine. That high growth company by, by definition is going to have a lower EBITDA margin because it is investing a lot in, in growth. You know, it's got a lot of expenses. It's hiring people and it's doing a lot of things. So it might have half of the, it might have a EBITDA margin, half that of the company that's not growing quickly. So th at that point in time, EBITDA doesn't become a very fair metric, right? I mean, how do you compare those two? So you got to look at things like, you got to look at the growth rate in free cash flow. And that's why when, when anti-CMEX and Renekill and ServiceMaster and these guys go out and model this, they're not taking multiples of revenue, at least on material deals. And they're not taking multiples of EBITDA. What they're doing is they're projecting cash flow into the future and determining how much they're willing to pay for that cash flow based on, on return parameters, which is the same thing that we have to do here in-house to kind of model out what the acquirers are doing. And I know that this conversation is getting extremely complicated when it comes to, uh, and maybe I'm going too far deep into what you guys wanted to hear, but. No, this is exactly what we want to hear. I can yeah. see a bunch of us Googling some of what you're saying to further understand it. <laughs> this is what the business people that are in pest control want to hear. We have a lot of exterminators that are great exterminators, but not so great businessmen. Right. So we were actually talking about this this morning where there's exterminators and then there's businessmen in pest control. And our goal, partially with this podcast, is to make everybody that owns a, everyone that's an exterminator, a businessman, and everybody that's a businessman, a better businessman. Man. Well, I mean, you know, herein, herein lies a very interesting situation because, as I said, if, you're, if you own a pest control business, you're an investor, right? And some guys – I had a, one of my earliest pest control deals. I met a guy who I, I, I was very fond of. He was a great guy. He and I are still very, very good friends. And he owned a pest control business doing about a million in change a year. And he grew that thing rapidly and then he completely plateaued. And um, we'll, I'm going to disguise his name as to save his confidentiality as well. So let's call him Jim, okay? So Jim grew this business to, to, to $1.4 million. Now, the guy started his career as a pharmaceutical sales guy. So he looked the part. He was very uh, you know, well-groomed, very, very good salesman. And he went out and sold the shit out of commercial work. And he built this nice business. But then what ended up happening is he needed, you know, he's hired technicians and he's, and now all of a sudden he's spending his whole day dealing with government bullshit forms, healthcare, tax stuff, stuff from the accountant, you know, uh, wage garnishments. And, you know, it's three in the afternoon before he got done with all the BS paperwork and, and his business is not growing. And so he, uh, you know, he's like, Paul, look, I, I just got to sell this. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not, this is not the right industry for me. And I said, look, it's a great industry. I'm like, you learned it on the fly. You, you, you got a great business, but you're the owner, but you're confusing yourself with the manager. You are not the manager. You are a sales guy. You, you have no business managing finances. You have no business going out hiring people. You, you don't know anything. You're not very technical. You don't understand that. 
You need to replace yourself as the manager of this business and focus. You need to report to a manager yourself, actually. You need to hire a president and report to that president and focus on sales. So he's said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I can't do it. I can't give up control. And so he thought about it. What you know, the guy actually took my advice, went and did it. And over the subsequent years, he's selling millions of dollars in commercial revenue, only doing sales, driving around just like he used to back in his pharmaceutical sales days. He brought in a, a manager who was a very solid guy, and he brought in a finance guy. And um, the guy has made a lot of money, but he, he wasn't able to do that until he recognized, hey, I'm not the best manager for this business, but I sure as hell like being the shareholder here. And so I think sometimes a lot of guys get into pest control. That's what their father did or that's what their you know, grandfather did. They get into the family business or somebody else was doing it. And I, I think if you can sit back and say, what am I really good at? How do I, as a manager, focus on putting my personal attributes to highest and best use? And I think if guys can really learn and know themselves and push their egos aside and say, look, I don't know shit about hiring people. I don't know anything about selling stuff. I need to make sure I get some great sales folks in here. I need to get some great HR people in here. It takes time and you do it slowly. But my impression is a lot of these companies hit plateaus not necessarily due to financial constraints, although it's often blamed on that, and not due to competition, although it's often blamed on that. It's the guys running the business who are not there are over their head, and they either have to learn it, like what you did, start taking accounting classes or not, or if they don't want to do that, they have to bring somebody in that can. And if they don't want to do that, then they just get stuck with a business that plateaus and never grows. And, and that's the decision that they make. So is it your ego? Do you care more about what you're doing and what your title is, or do you care more about enriching yourself as an investor. I, you know, when I have these discussions with people, it's like a light bulb goes off. They say, shit, I've been, I, I wanted to enrich myself, but I've been more, more focused on doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And now I got to put together a plan to make that happen. We talk about that all the time, working on your business versus working in your business. Yeah, that's exactly, that's right. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard when you're small, right? It's hard when you're you're building a business and you, you gotta you gotta do everything, and no way you can't. But you really gotta step out and kind of figure out how you can do that. And, and the, I think the first thing is recognizing legitimately, not what you think you're good at, but like legitimately and objectively where your strengths are, and then in every other area, get people that are smarter than you're doing it. You know, the podcast is really obviously it's about business and pest control, but one major facet to it is the age gap between my father and I and how businesses were run when he was coming up in the 60s, you know, late 60s. And now what you're saying, I follow. I hired a manager when I didn't really need one, but I had the money. And instead of being greedy and keeping it, I hired somebody to manage the business. And my father and I disagree on it a little bit. No, I don't disagree on it now, just that I didn't do it, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. If you can say, what's the largest pest control acquisition? Not who or what, just dollar-wise. North of a quarter billion. Wow, that's nice. Uh, North is nice. <laughs> we do million dollar deals, we do in the hundreds of millions. And so we, you know, where there's, there's, there's six of us and we're in very diverse geographies, right? So my main residence is in Geneva, Switzerland. So that's where I live. And we've got an office in, in, um, in the Caribbean. We've got, and I use that. We're hiring folks down there to focus on Latin America. Latin America and Eastern Europe are kind of the new frontier of pest control. There's been a lot of 
a lot of deals done in Asia, and Renekill kind of owns that market. I think we'll see Service Master get into China in the next month or so. But but Renekill somewhat owns Asia. Um, they, to a certain degree, own Europe, I and mean, they probably do 80% of revenue there in in, uh, in, uh, in the UK. Although I think we'll see a Service Master in in the UK in the next 60 days, is is, is what I would guess. Um, but you know the new frontier is really Latin America and, and a lot of the former Soviet countries and, and you know the Eastern Europe and so we've been spending a ton of time and you know this year we'll do we'll probably do somewhere between 600 million and 800 million in total transaction volume and of that I would say about 60 percent of that eh, roughly 60 percent will be in North America the remainder will be around the world. And so we've got, you know, we do deals from Saudi Arabia to Poland to Philippines to former Yugoslavia to Brazil. And, and for me, these deals are a lot smaller, right? So you go into a country like China and you say, shit, what's going on here? There's a ton of pest control companies. Well, the big boys in China are doing like 5 million U.S., right? I mean, this is the, these are the big companies there. And so a lot of countries, I'll go into a country of 40 million people and the largest commercial pest control player there that's doing, you know, Coca-Cola and the big hotels and these guys are doing only a couple, two, three, four, sometimes five million a year in a country of 40 million people and a lot of foreign markets. Now, granted, we do see some big ones and there are definitely, you know, there are some companies outside the country that are, that are, would be, you know, on the top 10, 15 on the PCT top 100 if they reported on that. But a lot of them, it's a very fragmented world. And for me, you know, I, I try to balance my time between a lot of the bigger deals are on continental Europe and, and North America. But hell, I like going to Brazil and I, I like going to, you know, Uzbekistan. And I was just in Africa a few months ago. That was a cool thing. And I was there solely for, for doing pest control deals. So I find that very interesting. Now, granted, I could go to New Jersey and do a deal that size for a fraction of the time. But I'm fortunate enough that I can kind of focus on things that interest me intellectually. And it's an interesting world out there now, guys. I mean, I, I think we're going to see some dramatic and I've written about this lately, I think there's going to be some dramatic shifts over the next couple of years in, in the map of pest control and who's doing what where. And um, a lot of foreign firms are, are starting to drive drive that. And now, like I said, we're, we're seeing U.S. firms venture overseas. You got any other questions, Mr. Sheehan? I'm good. And, uh, Paul, thank you. Even at my advanced stage, you're uh, very enlightening. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to be able to help. I mean, you guys, you're always... Yeah, I think you guys are doing good work up there and feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. So one last question. Yeah. Compared to your colleagues who chose the sexy fields like tech, how do you rate your decision to stay with the, like you said, pest control is, is the bulk of your business now? How do you? Well, I guess it's very similar to, to a decision to, to almost stay as a pure play commercial business in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so I've got colleagues that are out doing super sexy stuff for sure. But I, I have been able to put myself by niching down to really focus on structural pest and allied industries. I've become a, a very big fish in a tiny pond. By niching down and really getting deep, uh, I'm the guy that the equity research analysts call. I'm the guy that all the hedge funds call. So I would say to answer your question, you know, it was a tough slog. And this didn't happen overnight. But now with the consolidation boom and pest control over the last five years, I can safely and honestly say I'd rather be no other place because I ended up toiling in the vineyards and the lean years and kind of building capabilities. And then when this consolidation boom happened, we were we were ready. And um, 
to, yeah. Just for the record, I'd like to say that uh, pest control is sexy. I figured you would. Put it out. I figured you'd say that. <laughs> but, um, listen, thank you uh, very much. If you're ever in Brooklyn, I promise not to take you somewhere where you feel like you're going to get whacked. <laughs> thank you again, Paul Giannamori from the Potomac Group. This was great. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in New York soon. Hey, this is Ed Sheehan for Mastermind Business Academy. Join our startup class. It is perfect for you if you're starting a new pest control company or if you've been in business under three years. Finally ready to get serious about building a successful company from your side job? You know, you're always looking to get more market share or add-ons. This would be a great add-on service in plumbing, landscaping, and cleaning companies. When you sign up, here's what you'll get. The exact steps you need to take to start a successful pest control company. Our checklist of everything to include in your startup. Customizable contracts and proposals. Just add your logo. Protocols for guaranteed results. Employee management tools. Pricing tools and salary calculators. Accounting, investing, exclusive discounts, and money-saving strategies. Our detailed process on how to find bulletproof growth and built-in customers. A huge list of potential clients and locations to get you going. All for residential and commercial accounts, plus one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with myself and Joe. Once again, thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. Check out our website at colonyconfidential.com. Until we meet again, God bless you.